Welcome to episode 97 of the Get Cyber Resilient show. I'm Dan McDermott and I'll be your host for today. This week is our Behind the News episode and I'm joined by our resident cybersecurity expert, Garrett O'Hara. Today, we'll be looking behind the news that the era of passwordless security has finally arrived through the FIDO Alliance. We'll dig into how the voluntary IoT security standards announced last year are now mandatory in Australia. We'll review the latest cyber updates regarding the war in the Ukraine, including the Viasat attack, impacting critical national infrastructure for more than a month with 2,000 wind turbines offline across Europe. It's election week here in Australia, and we'll review cyber's role in the election and beyond. And we'll end with a wrap of the latest breaches and vulnerabilities to make the headlines. Cigar, let's begin by diving into the potentially password-killing scheme devised by the FIDO Alliance. What can you tell us about the FIDO Alliance and how will this improve security? Yeah, it's the um, the era, I think you said it already, of uh, passwordless. You know, we've heard this conversation or you know that, that phrase be bandied around for quite some time. I think passwords, like as a little bit of scene setting or context, um, passwords <laughs> are the absolute bane of most security professionals' lives and even just us as human beings going around our days. Um, you know, how many different platforms um, require a password and one of my personal frustrations is the thing where I just want to maybe buy something online but they force me to create an account and yet another password and yet another service and um, I think that's what the behavior that that's kind of forced is people choosing either a very simple password which is very easy to brute force or using the same password uh, time and time again and and you may um, you're you're probably aware of like ISO uh, 27001 um uh, and, and some of the, the kind of security standards that are out there, f- like kind of require timeline, uh, time, what's it called lifetimes for passwords. So, you know, they have to be recycled mm-hmm. or reset or recreated every three months, which actually creates just terrible behaviors because people choose the same password and then, you know, tap, I mean, tap on two let- um, numbers at the end and then just increment the numbers. So, you know, really one of those things where the intent of not having the same password is good, um, but actually it just, it makes for a complete another. Um, beep show. Um, I was going to curse there, but we we won't be able to do that post edit. So, um, so you know, what what are the suggestions? You know, incremental improvements in in security. Certainly, things like MFA are really good. Um, the problem you run into run into there is, uh, you know, if I look at my phone, I've got probably four or five different um, types of authenticators on my phone. Um, I've got some uh, one from Semantic. I've got one from Forty. Um, yeah, 40 uh, tokens. I've got a Google one. Um, there's just tons of them and you end up, you know, with a fairly disparate set of solutions and trying to remember which one is used for which application, blah, blah, blah. So that's like annoying. Um, you've heard me, bam, you know, babble on about password managers for a long time. Awesome. Again, incremental improvement in security, but still, you know, require passwords. So um, the promise of um, FIDO, and this is, uh, like, I think this is really actually quite an important one is um, be- because of who's involved in this. Um, you've got Apple, Google, and Microsoft um, basically working on this and committing to basically supporting it as a standard. So first of all, you get that cohesion into a standard. That's, I think, always a good thing because it starts to get out of the way of um, all of the problems that comes with, um, you know, disparate um, solutions. So that's the first really good sort of good news piece. Um, and that's great, you know that that's cool. Um, easier times to roll this out if you're if you're designing a platform um, or you're retrofitting this kind of um, authentication. It, it it should be easier um, and less troublesome than other approaches. 
Um, it has been, apparently it's had the, the crap kicked out of it by security experts. So, you know, the uh, implementation is good. It's been reviewed. It's not one of those kind of um, things that's just bespoke and, and, you know, randomly come up. It's it's a lot of work has gone into this. Fundamentally, what it gets to is the point where um, you don't need to use a password. You basically can authenticate using things like biometrics. Um, so a fingerprint or uh, facial recognition is you know, two examples. But um, the idea would be that um, using, say, a mobile device when you try to log into something, maybe an online platform, um, that you get a prompt, you know, sort of push a notification on your phone and put in the, you know, the thumbprint and you're, you're done. That's pretty much it. It's very, very elegant from a user's perspective um, and also very secure because what's being stored on the device is a, a thing called a passkey. Um, and what's good about that is you can actually store that passkey on multiple devices um, so the auth can flow across a variety of different platforms um, using that same passkey, if that makes sense. So, um, the, the promise here is like you can see me we, well the listeners can't see me i'm smiling because i think it sounds amazing um <laughs> i i personally feel like my shoulders relaxing and you know a sense of calm and peace arriving as i think about not having to remember 50 million passwords or use a password manager ever again like if i thought we could just log in and just you know biometrics i mean how good is that uh, another um, another small part about this is just the proximity of the authenticating device one of the things they will get rid of from mm. a fish attack perspective you know i'm sure everyone's familiar with man in the middle attacks where you basically stick a website in the middle of an authentication get the sms you know you know one time use key or code um, and do a pass through to the to the real site so you can kind of do a man in the middle uh, or a person in the middle attack um yeah, this gets rid of that i mean there's there's a bunch of other things but one of them being the proximity uh, detection using bluetooth so if i go to authenticate to something um that i basically i can detect proximity so i know it's not somebody on the other side of the world using an, um, a code that's been sms as one example so um yeah sorry lots of thought has gone into this but i'm, I'm very very excited about the potential for you know, truly ease better security and easier use. I mean, those that's the the sort of amazing combo we're looking at here. Yeah, some really broad implications of this, right? And I think the one of the explanations, like you said there, that has been explained around sort of the pass key concept is is using two elements. One of something of what you have, which is your phone, and everyone's got their phone with them all the time. And then the other part is who you are. And so that's where something like biometrics and that comes in. And the combination of those two things, as you say, with proximity means that, you know, somebody can't be attacking you remotely um, because they can't get access to that. So I think it's a really, yeah, it's an interesting concept. Some of the implications, I guess, uh, that it sort of come to mind, right, is as we know, as, as a as the world, we've moved to a lot of these mega services and platforms, right, and providers where we know the benefits of doing those things and this as, as passwordless as a, as a, you know, one centralised provider. But does that create a big target for that? And does it mean that, you know, again, like they become the, tar the target of actually hacking into a system like this and hacking once gets access to everybody. Um, so it becomes the prize is uh, much greater as well. Yeah, I don't. I don't think it'll work that way. Um, yeah, the like the pass keys will be distributed. I mean, it's basically how much of the internet works today, which is you know some version of cryptography, PKI, um, and that's what what you're generally relying on in situations like this is that the algorithms can be known, and it doesn't matter because of the math involved. The the security comes from the math involved rather than um, you know obfuscation or you know where something is stored. So I think it'll be the same mm. in this case. Um, I mean, one of the things that 
I'm sure people will think about is the security of biometrics in general. We've talked about this, you know, that that idea of um, the use of things like ML and AI to you know, basically brute force things like fingerprints, which there's been studies done on that and academics have, have done some stuff that's you know, sort of frightening when you think you can't really change your fingerprint, right? It's not like a password mm-hmm. where you can go and change it. Like your fingerprints are for life, as is your <laughs> yeah your face. And it's, we, maybe they give out vouchers for plastic surgery um, is the, <laughs> the solution to that if you get a, um, facial recognition. But, you know, that that's one of the things to, I suppose, that we do need to consider is that if we get to the point where the biometrics part of it becomes insecure for some reason, then uh, where does that leave us? Um you know, so, so far, so good. And I think there's a lot of things that may, can make biometrics better. Um, but because of how they work, there's, you know, there's a whole, there's a perfect balance between false positive, false negatives. And we, again, which we, you know, we've spoken about before. And you, you sort of, you want to get the ease of use, which means you have a potential for a higher um, false negative rate. Uh, I always get them. <laughs> when I'm under pressure, I always get negative and positive uh, mixed up in the same situations. But you know what I mean. It's it's one of those things where like left hand right. Yeah, hand. I can. I just the amount of times I go 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 wrong in the car is unbelievable. But um, yeah, I mean that's that's the one concern I suppose is the reliance on biometrics. Um, and there's some very clever people who think about this, right? So you know, um, I feel like we're in safe hands. But if something happened in the future where um, compromising biometrics or, you know, mimicking somebody because the machines have gotten really good, then, you know, that's sort of where does that leave us? But I'm sure by then we'll all have chips embedded in our um, temples. And, you <laughs> no, know, or no it, let's not go that yeah. far. No, no. <laughs> so I guess my last question on this is, is like this, it does sound revolutionary, right, in terms of what it really does mean to, to move down, away from a have a password-less society, um, which is easier on every individual but also improving security at the same time. What's the time frame of, you know, likelihood of being able to start to implement this and sort of see its success and, and it becoming, you know, ubiquitous for us? So they're actually talking about like this starting this year. Um, so this is a real thing. It's not, you know, this isn't an, you know, an academic uh, study that's been done and, you know, it's 10 years away. I mean, it's, it's basically, you know, the, the news hit this week because they're committed to the, to the standard and, and it's basically pretty much ready to go. As I understand it, I think it's uh, yeah later this year, I think is when we'll start to see um, this get taken up. And I, I, you know, we've talked about stuff like this before where, you can have really good security, but the 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 friction is always the ease of use. So there's no kind of commercial mm. outcome. So organizations could go for amazing security and lose customers um, or annoy their customers and watch their their NPS score tank, even <laughs> though they're, they're doing the right thing for their customers. This seems like a winner in that, you know, if you think about a usability perspective where um, it, you know, almost becomes competitive baseline um, if all of your competitor platforms allow you to log in by just kind of you know literally hitting your finger off your phone all of a sudden that becomes a, a real commercial driver i would say for adoption so it feels like one of those ones that because it it does the better security and better usability at the same time mm. i think you know maybe me being very optimistic here but i feel like it's going to be something that will see adoption very quickly fascinating area one that yeah if we can see adoption quickly will make a big difference um there's obviously going to be implications like you said you've got a whole bunch of you know services on your phone already um so those companies uh will be interesting to see you know that mfa world and what that's meant and that sort of thing because 
a lot of that goes away, right? I mean, that's the thing. You move to you know, pass keys and um, and we move to FIDO, which I don't think we said it stands for Fast Identity Online, so FIDO, um, if anybody's looking it up um, and want to do some of their own research on this because it is something that is coming and will have, you know, broad array of implications, I think, for every security professional. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's exciting. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm, as I say, smiling. You can't see it on the on a recording, but it's uh, it's really good news, I think. Yeah, we can hear it in your voice, Gar. Oh, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the next story is an update of a news item we covered previously regarding the security of the Internet of Things or IoT devices and how Australia has taken its voluntary standards to now being mandatory. So this seems like a good progression, as we said last time, Gar, that when something's voluntary, we know how well mm. compliance is. So moving it to a mandatory standard feels as though progression in the right direction. Totally agree with you, Dan. Yeah, totally agree with you. Um IoT in particular, given how many things are driven, you know, the the uh, profits for organizations selling IoT devices are going to be driven by basically, you know, producing cheap stuff and getting scale. So, you know, I mean, you walk around most supermarkets now or, you know, even um, hardware stores, there's IoT everything. Like they've, they've created... <laughs> internet-enabled things where you can really scratch your head kind of think of what like why <laughs> like what's the <laughs> why you know why do i need that actually connected to the internet in some way um and often you're produced with absolutely no thought to standards so functionality being the absolute focus and then you know some token gesture towards security if you're lucky um that's a big problem right you know where people are plugging these things into networks at home or even in in um your corporate environments, and yeah, this is a hugely famous story of the fish tank um, IoT breach back in you know in Las Vegas, where they were able to pop that and get that as a way in to find out the personal details for the, the whales, the you know the high rollers over in the um, mm. casino. It's a problem. Um, the US moved oh, it's a couple of years ago now, from memory, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but you know for uh, IoT use in governments, it had like they had a mandatory sort of security standard that had to be met. I think that's a good driver. Um, and yeah, it was it 2020, I think the coalition kind of came out with the, the voluntary mm. principles. I think there was 13 of them. And, you know, it was kind of like, yeah, it'd be great if you could do this. To your point, you know, if you're a manufacturer and you can do something cheap, cheaply um, to uh, and sell it to generally consumers who are not particularly, you know, cybersecurity isn't what people are thinking when they're in the hardware store looking at a, you know, internet enabled uh, toaster. You know, like they're just not, yeah. they're thinking about, <laughs> oh, look, I can use an app on my phone to make the change the the toasting setting or something let's say you know <laughs> it's just the novelty value and um, but they're not thinking about what does that mean for my home security or like any of those things right um, i think that's the problem um so making a mandatory to your you know initial point is the thing that starts to uh, level the playing fields and force organizations if they're going to sell um these things into australian citizens citizens that they have to be you know set up securely or at least make an effort to do that and this stuff is really obvious it's things like default passwords i mean you you know the kind of thing that you would assume you know just would be would be something that organizations would actually look at just as a a standard practice but you know that kind of says everything you need to know right you can connect things and with a default password throw them in a network and they're just wide open um and, and so yeah i think this is i think this is a really good yeah 
It, uh, it does make me laugh a little bit of a, a mutual friend of ours who uh, has the internet-enabled skipping rope. Um, I think that went really well. <laughs> so. we, we both know who that is, uh, that person who shall, <laughs> shall remain nameless. I, I, was, I found it very funny when they were talking about that at the start of COVID, how they bought Bluetooth everything, and then it showed the number as they skipped. It was uh, very funny. It's, uh, it is funny and it's, uh, I wonder how secure-minded it was uh, uh, in some of those purchases as well. No, for sure. Yeah, I've got – and we've – you know, people who work in Mimecast who are very into things like home automation and, um, you know, that's a huge IoT space. And luckily, you know, if you're in Mimecast, you probably <laughs> – security is going to be on your radar. But, like, that's a huge hobby area for many people at the moment is – automating everything you know garage doors opening lights coming on air conditioning like literally your life is um or your, you know your your house is run by an app um on your phone um and often you know the the sensors the physical components are like you know, pretty cheap things that are bought um you know in bulk from our friends uh, further north so um <laughs> yeah good to see some sort of um mandatory standards here i think it's a, it's definitely a good thing Yes. Again, another good, I think two good news stories there that we've led off with, I guess, of, you know, that improvement of, uh, of insecurity in terms of where we're going and, and these things are not going away, right? And the proliferation will continue. So uh, definitely a, a good area for, uh, for the government to, to be doubling down on there. Yeah, definitely. Again, sadly, the conflict in the Ukraine continues. And a quote from Paul Chista, the Director of Operations at the UK National Cyber Security Centre, described the cyber clash as the most sustained set of cyber operations coming up against the best collective defences we've ever seen. So a prime example of this is the Viasat attack, which occurred over a month ago. Um, so tell us what's the latest on the cyber front in the Ukraine crisis? Yeah, it's sort of uh, ongoing. Um, yeah, Paul's Paul's quote, it actually sounds like a tagline from a movie or something, doesn't it? Um, <laughs> this summer, the most sustained set of cyber operations coming. It sort of feels like it has that vibe to it. Um, but, you know, I'm, man, I don't want to make light of what's going on over there. Obviously, um, incredibly sad still and incredibly serious. Mm. Um, you know, we, we've talked about this, I think, on every episode since this all started, right? I mean, it's hard not to. Um yeah, ongoing. Um, there's there's still quite a few things going on. They're seeing Wiper and, and some of their um, um, some of their departments and agencies over there. Um, so you know that that stuff is still happening. Um, that the Russian uh, Wiper malware, and then the the Viasat. Um, this is interesting because I think we both of us were talking probably in the first time we talked about Ukraine on the pod about how. Um, how easy the attacks kind of bleed out into the outside of the two countries that are involved. So, you know, it, it's Ukraine versus Russia. But in reality, um, as we saw with NotPetya, you know, it impacts, uh, in, in that case, it was 25% of the organiza organizations impacted were not in Ukraine, right? So, and and mm -hmm. had massive implications. And with the uh, Viasat attack, it's, it's similar in that... Um, um, basically, it's a satellite for those who are not across it um, that is used in Ukraine and actually across Europe, um, and it's used as a sort of means for, you know, I suppose, interconnectivity um, to uh, to various places. Part of what's happened here with the um, the attack is that it's taken out things like wind turbines um, in places like Germany, and so um, again, you know, this ties into the CNI conversation that you we've had mm. many times. Um, and this is, you know, this is an example where um, the hack on on Viasat, Viasat's the company, by the way, um, 
the company that provides the kind of um, the comms for the, the satellite. But um, yeah, I think it's it's one of those scary ones where we're seeing um, the the attack obviously impacting Ukraine, but then actually impacting um, countries and and sort of operations uh, outside of Ukraine. Yeah, including those kind of wind turbines in in uh, Germany, and I believe it's still going on. Um, but you know, Poland, France, um, yeah, people all over Europe had their um, satellite internet connections knocked out as well. Yeah, it's uh, like you say, it's like the these things, the attack is often very widespread. It's not just, you know, the first intended target, right, and then there's the flow on from there. So we're seeing that I think it plays to so many things that we've spoken about over, over the time around critical national infrastructure and what that means and how do you protect that nation states and how you know when they when they go after somebody you can be it can be unintended consequences and you can be an unintended victim of that as well what does that mean um there's so many angles of how to actually sort of combat against this i do think as well like you said that that quote is very interesting around you know that there is probably so much that we're not hearing mm. right that's not making the news which is a good thing because of the defences that are in place and that the and what is being able to be stopped as well. So I think that what we're sort of seeing from this is is sometimes maybe not as much news as what we may have thought, but that's also because of you know the great defence that's been in place as well. Yeah, absolutely. It, it's it feels like it's coming in waves a little bit. Um, mm. I think both of us were pretty much primed for you know huge stories to be coming out of Ukraine um, at a pretty consistent basis. And then the, it felt like there was this kind of calm where, you know, everyone's kind of waiting, for, like, what's going on? We're not actually hearing, the, you know, this stuff is is happening. Um, and to your point, it was. And, the, you know, the Microsoft report we spoke about last time, yep. um, you know, clearly showed that there had been stuff going on. And not just during the, you know, the kinetic um, sort of movements or the on-ground attacks, but actually a year running into um, the you know the the stuff that's going on in Ukraine. So um, yeah, it definitely feels like it's coming in waves. But um, yeah, they've done, this VSAT one is it's pretty high profile. Um, just given you know what it was, um, pretty el- you know I hate using the expression, but pretty elegant attack from from what I understand. But also the um, the fact that it did Im- impact you know non Ukrainian entities and, and people just around Europe um, who rely on um, satellite internet connectivity. All of a sudden, you know the the sort of lights go out. Yeah, no, still very scary situation. Mm. And obviously, you know, the highest of stakes involved as well. So, uh, mm. you know, I guess like the, the one good news taking away from it is, is you know, how well, I guess, those cyber defences have held up mm. under that sustained attack as well. Yep. Yeah, I mean, there there's talented people there, right? And I think mm. to your point, Dan, um, very savvy cybersecurity um, operators in, in Ukraine, certainly in Russia too, but it's... Um, yeah, I think, I think that's what you're, you're spot on. We're seeing the talents of uh, people, um, yeah, operate their cyber resilience at, at a nation state level. It's, you know, it's, it's like Estonia, but, you know, this is wartime. Um, mm. So, yeah. And looking at that national level, um, it is election week here in Australia. Mm. And one item that hasn't made the headlines very much during the campaign itself is cyber. Um, No major policy announcements during the campaign, um, but we did see a lot leading up to it as well. Um, But the other, the good news as well has been that there hasn't been much reporting on things like fake news and electoral interference from a cyber perspective. Um, We've still got a week to go, so (laughs) we never know. But, uh, But that's also what I think is, is that, you know, cyber has played a much bigger role in politics in the last couple of years in Australia. Um, and following Saturday, we'll have a clearer view on the next evolution in our national cyber policy and the frameworks that will be supported. 
So it'd be interesting to see what the future looks like. And obviously a lot of groundwork's been laid and a lot of things have been promised and money laid out mm. for the future. Um, but we'll have a clearer direction of, of where to next. Yeah, that. And I mean, you wonder about the machinery of governments, you know, given that we're looking at a potential change, you know, what <laughs> that's the thing you worry about, right? Um, come in and maybe unwind some of the things that are working well or whatever. But um, yeah, hopefully it all sort of stays on track. It is that change, right? That is the the big thing. Yep. You're exactly right in that. Is there is if there is a change in government, it is don't throw the baby out with the bathwater, yep. right? And particularly in this in this case, where there is lots of good you know policies and and money set aside and programs that are you know set up in order to continue to improve our our, our cyber resilience as a nation. Um, so we don't obviously lose any of those things, um, no matter who wins, and we want to continue to expand on them um, and improve them as we go forward so yes well good luck for all involved um for the weekend and um and then come saturday night um we might have a clear review on uh, on where to mm. next hopefully <laughs> finally let's wrap up with a quick review of the latest breaches and vulnerabilities to make the headlines we'll start with a report on the cost of business email compromise or bec to victorians yeah, this is uh, I mean, it's a pretty quick one. Um, included really just for the, the number, I suppose, was it was kind of an interesting <laughs> one. But it's thirty one point nine million um, was lost to business email compromise in, in twenty twenty one, apparently, um, and that comes from um, some VPNs that are apparently cooperating with the Vic Police uh, Cybercrime Squad. So yeah, that's not a not a small amount of money. Um, can certainly you know keep me in in socks and and you know shirts and whatnot for a little while. Um, but uh, yeah, like a lot, a lot of money, I suppose, getting getting fleeced from Victorians. Yes, well, obviously being a Victorian, it's a, a frightening number, but it's also interesting to see sort of that level of reporting happening and that, you know, that we've even got at state level, like Vic Police getting involved and that type of thing. So it is at so many layers of where, you know, I guess the response is coming from, right, and and mm -hmm. where what we're trying to look to do um, to, to help, you know, protect um, all citizens as much as possible. So, yeah, but, uh, yeah, worrying numbers again. Yeah, they really are, and you know, it's I, what I would actually like to see as part of the data is the, um, what's the mean size for the the losses? Like, what's the distribution? Mm. Um, you know, because you see thirty one point nine million. That's a lot of money, but you know, we, we we've talked about this quite a lot. There's some big chunky numbers going around, especially in the things like the um, yeah, real estate industry. I mean, they, you could mm. rack up thirty one point nine million pretty quickly, actually, and just given <laughs> the the amount of money sloshing around there. Um, but I suspect it's probably made up of quite a lot, like a long tail of small payments, also. Um, so yeah, be be interested to see if there was, you know, a second version of this data where they looked at that. Indeed. Uh, the next story is one that's uh, a little bit too familiar in terms of uh, a breach, and that is that WordPress has been pinged again. Yeah. Um, yeah, like you almost feel like you could just record uh, a, a placeholder for WordPress um, site hacks. But uh, look, again, you know, I'm a, sort of a fan of WordPress. I used it for uh, quite a, a few things that I did over the years. It's a, I mean, it's a very, very useful um, content management system for, um, for you know, producing you know, blogs, newsletters, um, just websites these days. And it's got so many plugins available. So, you know, it's quite an appealing um CMS um, for, for many people. Um, that said, it, it does have a bit of a reputation for kind of getting popped. It's it's almost like you know Microsoft in that way because so many people use it, it becomes a really appealing target. Um, you know, hit that critical mass where 
um, you know, everybody uses Microsoft. It clearly, you're going to see um, attackers go after that kind of uh, in, you know, platform, OSs, et cetera. And WordPress is a little bit like that, where so many websites are built on WordPress. Um, in this one, they basically are um, yeah, using some uh, JavaScript. And really what they're doing is when you kind of load the, the file of JavaScript, basically sends you on towards a uh, malicious website. Um, so not not ideal <laughs> in any way, shape, or form. Um, but um, yeah, one to be aware of if you're somebody who has a WordPress site. You know, definitely worth getting across this one and um, and, and following all the best practices. Make sure your plugins are updated. Make sure you're running the latest version of WordPress. Um, if you haven't run one of the many tools that are out there to lock WordPress down, so doing things like changing um, the default database names and passwords. Um, then you know there's there's tools out there you can run them they're pretty quick and they'll just they'll get you at least part of the way there to a more secure version of WordPress so strongly recommend that also indeed a good public service announcement for anybody uh, running WordPress sites which as we know there's millions of them there right is. so it's uh, it's definitely one that needs to uh, to be secured at the back end as well uh, we'll finish with the news of global furniture retailer IKEA uh, who have been breached in Canada yeah they. Um yeah, Kia Canada got uh, got popped, and apparently ninety five thousand customers um, are being notified. Um, it looks like one of their uh, internal employees um, was able to access data that, um, in theory, they shouldn't have been able to. And um, they, IKEA Canada, basically notified, I believe, the equivalent of the you know the OAIC here, um, mm-hmm. so the sort of um, privacy commissioner in Canada, and let them know. So I think you know kind of did all the right things and. Um, I don't believe anything uh, untoward has happened so far. So, you know, that is that has been breached, um, but no particular impact from what I understand just yet. Well, let's hope that that's the end of that story then, right? And we don't have to uh, review it again when uh, reviewing the, the notion of what actually might have uh, happened with that data as well. Yeah, definitely. Well, they've, they, they, as, you know, all good companies would um, have done the thing of kind of remediating the kind of... Uh, the situation so looking you know how did this happen and then making the changes appropriately to make sure that it doesn't happen again and that's that's just cyber security um, in large mm-hmm. part you know do the best for planning and then when stuff goes wrong just make sure it doesn't go wrong again <laughs> i think um you know you could forgive some you know most organizations for for one sort of air quotes mistake but if you see the same mistake happening multiple times then that's where you got to start worrying Indeed. Well, let's uh let's hope that all of those things are covered off and uh, and we don't see those vulnerabilities again yeah. Well, thank you, Gar. I really appreciate your insights as always. Um, who do you have for us as our special guest next week? Next week is Dan Gregory, um, which is uh, an exciting one for me. Uh, just an absolutely ripper of a conversation with uh, Dan. It was a couple of weeks ago now, actually, it's been recorded. Um, he's just, I mean, he's a phenomenal guy. He's the CEO of the Impossible Institute, but people probably know him more for things like the Gruen transfer. So he's on TV quite a lot and... Uh, He's just, he's A, an entertaining character and B, just a very sort of thoughtful, insightful um, sort of commentator um, and and sort of expert on human behavior and engagement. Um, he's he's made, he, we, we've talked about this, I saw him years ago at a cybersecurity conference, um, a little bit hungover in one of the mornings and kind of went along <laughs> to see what this guy from Gruen Transfer could possibly have to say. And it was just really really good it's still rated as one of the best cybersecurity talks i've ever seen and it was about human behavior so um really loved it on the um conversation and we obviously get into that so 
Um, we talk about, you know, how to really get people in, in, engaged when it comes to this conversation of cybersecurity. And Dan makes that comment that um, you kind of need to assume that most people won't care about cybersecurity as much as we do. <laughs> and, you know, he, he comes from that perspective. Um, he's got some really good stuff about how to engage people. So things like not telling them what to do, but how you tackle that problem together. And if that makes sense, so like how to change comms and behavior change programs to really get people bought in and sort of buying, um, sorry, designing security programs with, you know, the end users in mind in terms of getting them engaged and actually having an outcome. Um, we talk about things like optimum optimism biases, trust trust in society in general. Like it was a, a phenomenal uh, conversation, uh, one that I've been hoping to have for probably a couple of years, if I'm honest, since we started the pod. And, and yeah, felt like you know a good good one to to get in the can. So yeah, I look forward to that being released. Yeah, fantastic! Can't wait. Uh, always great. I think when there is that human side of cybersecurity and what that means, it's uh, a fascinating conversation and one that we all know that we are uh, we struggle with and um or everybody has those challenges of how of how to get better in that regard. So uh, really looking forward to it. Until next week, if you would like to continue exploring key topics in cybersecurity, please jump onto getcyberresilient.com and check out some of the latest articles, including insights from Privacy Awareness Week. Uh, before FIDO, um, how do you defy brute force password attacks? Um, and a look into why the metaverse could be a hacker's haven. Thanks for listening, and until next time, stay safe. <laughs>